following talk is from New Community. For more information about New Community, check out newcommunitychurch.org.uk. Thanks for listening. Okay, we're continuing our series of uh, teaching on uh, the book of Ephesians. And today um, we're looking at the subject of the Holy Spirit. And um, some of you will be aware of uh, the fact that today is Pentecost Sunday, just to let you know when we planned this series, um, James planned it, he didn't know that today was Pentecost Sunday. It just suddenly happened that it all came together. And um, I've entitled this morning's word, The Holy Spirit, Active or Passive. And I will explain what we mean by that in a moment. But if you have Ephesians, your Bible's with you, the words will come up behind me. But if you have Ephesians uh, chapter 1, notice how fast we're getting through Ephesians. It's week 4 and we're still in chapter 1. I'm sure we'll speed up. Paul says this, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. We're actually in this Ephesians series going through major foundational issues of the things that we believe as a church based upon what the Bible teaches. And you'll appreciate that the subject of the Holy Spirit is vast. It's a whole series in its own. And so today, or this week rather, when I was preparing, I said, Lord, I've spoken on the subject of the Holy Spirit many times, and there's a whole crowd of people who've heard endless sermons on the Holy Spirit over many, many years. Is there any way, Lord, that in one sermon we could come at it with a slightly different angle? And I felt that God really spoke to me and, um, and basically said this. This will be our theme this morning in these moments together Whatever stage of Christian life you might be at, some of you might not yet be Christians, but for those of you that are Christians, whatever stage of development that you're at, here's the question. Do you have now a now and living active relationship with the person of the Holy Spirit? Or if you're really honest, has it all become a bit passive, maybe a bit over-familiar, which has led to passivity. I felt prompted to ask the question as well, has your experience of the Holy Spirit predominantly been in the past? In other words, you look back to an occasion or an event when you had an experience of the Spirit. Or is the Holy Spirit real to you presently right now today? Here's another question. Has the Holy Spirit, in all honesty, become a person who's very distant, a stranger, not much to do with the way I live my life, or is he increasingly becoming a person who's closer to you? And the story of our experience of the Holy Spirit starts here in Ephesians chapter 1. So I want you to keep asking the question throughout this sermon, is it passive or is it active? And Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, we see this first mention, if you like, of the beginning of the Christian's experience, where it talks about believing in the gospel 
and then says two things as a result of our conversion. Number one, we're sealed with the Spirit. And number two, we have a guarantee because the Spirit's come into our lives of something that we're going to inherit in the future that we don't experience right now. So when you become a Christian, you are born again. And to be born again is a work of the Holy Spirit. Let me remind you of what it says in John chapter 3 and verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So you are not a Christian, and then you believe in the salvation. It's mentioned here in Ephesians chapter 1. You believe in this gospel, and then you repent of your sins, and then this is what happens. You get sealed with the Holy Spirit. You are born of the Spirit. And it doesn't matter what your background is. You're all, all of us are on a journey. You may be raised in church. You may have nothing to do with church. You may have been far away from God, never heard much about Christianity. We've all got different journeys. And there's a point in the journey where we are walking where there comes this rather humbling moment. And the humbling moment is this. I can't make myself a Christian. I now believe in a lot of it. I now have done my journey. I now believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and he died on the cross. And, and there's still this extra step. I can be believing, and I can be repenting, but I can't make myself a Christian. And it's very, very humbling. And the point I want to make is that becoming a Christian isn't passive. There is an active moment in all of this. And I think sometimes we can be on a journey. You might be here this morning. You're not a Christian. You've been on the journey. And now you're waiting for something to happen. You're waiting for a feeling. You're waiting for God to do something. And actually, in the end, if it doesn't happen, it gets quite passive. I think God wants us to know that at this particular moment, we need to take a step of faith. We need to reach out. And at that moment, this is what happens to you. The Spirit of God comes within you. The Holy Spirit, for the first time in your life, seals you and causes you to be a child of God. Why is this important? It's important because as we make the step of faith, which is our active step, not passive, the Spirit of God will then come upon you and cause you to be born again. Some people, that's a very gradual experience, and then one day they realize it's happened. For other people, it's very dramatic Right here and now, like the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus, when suddenly he was against God, and then suddenly he's for God, because he's been born again of the Spirit. You can be raised in church. This is why we need to keep preaching this. It doesn't make you a Christian. You can hear all the stories. You can do, you know, I know I've got some friends who've done four Alpha courses. I mean, how thick can you be? It's kind of like, why have you come back second, third, and Fourth time, it's because they're desperate to believe in it, but they can't. But why they're doing it a fourth time is because there has to come a moment which is humbling when you take a step of faith and there you become a Christian because then you are born of the Spirit. And if there's anyone here this morning who's still on this journey, I want to really, really start with this. The first encounter of the Holy Spirit is the moment 
that you give your life to Jesus because then he comes in you. And a seed from eternity is placed into you. Being born again means being born of the Spirit. It means being born from above. That's why you can't do it. Every person here who is a child of God is an unbelievable miracle. It's kind of like you, you, there's no other way you can be a Christian. And God working this amazing miracle in your life. And planting something of eternity right there and then in you. Here's another question. When I have been born of the Spirit, do I know I've been born of the Spirit? Well, the answer is absolutely yes. Here are some examples that the Bible gives. Well, the obvious one to start with is you know that you're forgiven. It's hard, it's a subjective thing, it's hard to describe it, but a little bit like you've been in prison all your life, someone has come along, opened the prison uh, door, and said, you're now free to go, and you walk out. And the the feeling of relief, of knowing that you're forgiven, you're no longer guilty, but now you're innocent, is 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 an amazing thing. And to know you're forgiven is amazing. We come here every Sunday and we sing something about we're forgiven. It is a remarkable thing that guilty people, and I'm looking at nothing but guilty people here today. You're looking at another one here. Not one of us are innocent. Not one of us has lived a life without sin. All of us have. And yet we are standing here today forgiven. It's a work of the Spirit. And when it's happened, you know it. You see, it's just that there's a lightness. You know that you've been forgiven. And you know this too, you've got peace with God. We don't often talk about this very much, but most people in this world wake up each morning without peace. They don't have peace with themselves, they don't have peace with their friends, and they certainly haven't made peace with God. When you are born of the Spirit, it's like you know in your heart that you've made peace with God. Not through what you have done, but through everything that he has done. Here's another thing. When you are born of the Spirit, you know that it's happened because you become a son, a daughter of God. Here's what it says in Romans and chapter 8, verse 15 and 16. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back again into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. It's not a feeling. It's not, oh, I hope if I come to more and more meetings, I'll feel like a son of God. The Spirit who's come in you cries out now from within you, Abba, Father. You can't do that or know what that means unless you've become a child of God. So when you become a child of God, you know the Spirit has made you forgiven. You have peace with God. You now have sonship. You can cry out, Abba, Father. And as you go on, you realize there's a big change in your life. And there's now fruit that's coming that's different from the fruit I used to have. You start to have a bias in you to doing what's right rather than wrong without anyone telling you what's right or wrong. Look happy. If this has happened to you, just look happier than all those people last night in Eurovision Song Kids, please. This is really, really good news. And in Ephesians 1 says, not only are you sealed with the Spirit. Have you got it? You're sealed with the Spirit. You've been born of the Spirit. But then, he says, it's a guarantee of an inheritance that we've yet to have in fullness. 
Basically, what it's saying is this, that the moment this seed of eternity comes in and you are born again, eternal life, experiencing, tasting of the age to come, begins then, not when you die. When the Christian dies is not the beginning of eternal life. For the Christian, the beginning of eternal life is when the seed comes in. Because it's an imperishable seed. Everything else perishes. There's something in you that will never, ever perish. It's going to go on into the... Your body one day will give up. The outer man is wasting away. Why does that happen? Because it's getting ready for the new body. And inside you is the spirit, the seed that's ready for that body that's going to come the moment that you die. You can't kill a Christian, you can only transfer one. (laughs) And the moment that you die, you just slip into eternity. It's kind of like the work of the spirit within you has now come to fruition. In fact, there's a passage in 2 Corinthians that says, we get swallowed up by death. We get swallowed up by life. So excited, I'm getting confused. People think, oh, it's terrible, he's died. No, he hasn't. He's just come into eternal life. This is why funerals for Christians are full of hope. And so we see this moment when there's a guarantee within us of something yet to come. I'm not thinking, oh, when I die, I wonder if I'll have eternal life. I wonder if I'll make it or not. Will I be good enough? I don't even think those things. Why do I know? Because I'm already tasting of eternal life now here on earth. The outer body is going to waste away. But inside me, I'm getting ready for my new life in heaven that God has given to us. There is a quote, I just want to read this out to you, that I've lived with for years by a guy called Steve Travis. And it's just a fantastic quote. I'm going to just give it to you. It should come up behind me. Our hope of eternal life is not a matter of whistling in the dark. Because what we hope for, we already experience in part. The Christian longs for the life of heaven, not chiefly as compensation for what he lacks now, but as a fulfillment of what he already possesses. I mean, it's it's just an unbelievable statement, just put in one sentence. You and I are now experiencing... The Spirit has come into you as a guarantee, a certainty. I don't want anyone here today who's a born-again Christian, even for a moment, doubting that you will go to heaven and have eternal life. It's nothing to do with what you do or don't do between now and then. It's to do the fact that the Spirit has come within you. There should be a hallelujah. Well, yeah, there you go. We are in the United Kingdom, so what can I expect? But there we go. (laughs) This was Africa, it'd be a bit different. Born again of the Spirit. So all Christians have the Spirit working in them at that moment of conversion. Let me just move on because this is very important. It is the day of Pentecost. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. The experience of being born of the Spirit is very real and very powerful. As I said earlier, some it's very dramatic, instantly life-changing, all addiction's gone. It's, God does that, it's amazing. Other people, it's a bit of a slower journey, but you know deep inside of you that you have been born of the Spirit. So that experience of being born of the Spirit is very real and very powerful. It's going to be with you for the rest of your life. 
but your experience of the person of the Holy Spirit himself is actually quite passive. So your experience of what the Spirit does to call you to be born again is amazing, but your actual encounter with the Holy Spirit as a person, for many of us, is actually a very passive thing. I'm a classic example of that. When I was led to the Lord by this person counseling me as a 17-year-old, and we were talking about it, and the person counseling me, he was very good and led me through very sound, very solid. I prayed the prayer of repentance. I knew that I'd been forgiven and gave me some instructions about the Word of God and prayer, and I left. Thank you very much. And as I got to the door, this guy shouted out to me. said, oh, by the way, I nearly forgot you've been filled with the Spirit. And I remember standing at the door, I said, really? When did that happen? Because I knew I'd been born again, but this counsellor had just shouted out to me, well, by the way, you've also been filled with the Spirit, which I don't remember happening. I thought, well, if I had been filled with the Spirit, I didn't notice. It was a very, very passive thing, if that was true. And here's a sad tale, that there are some people who teach that you receive everything to do with the Spirit at that moment of conversion. That's it. That's the extent of the experience of the Holy Spirit. And if that's true, then many people have a very passive encounter with the Holy Spirit. Don't get me wrong, their experience of being born again is brilliant and it's real. But if that's it, if that's the only bit that you get of experiencing the Holy Spirit, then there's something very, very passive about that particular moment. It's not a very active uh, uh, embracing of an encounter with the person of the Spirit of God. Can I just say that if people teach that it's not biblical, and it's not the experience of the early church, as we'll see in a minute, and it's not the experience of countless people down through history and all over the world today. In fact, Jesus taught, John chapter 14 to 16, he said, Far better that I go to be to the, with the Father, because when I go to be the Father, then I will come to you. I will send my Spirit to you. So when Jesus died and rose again from the dead and ascended and sat down at the right hand of the Father on high, one of the purposes of that is that now he would send the Spirit. And that when he sent the Spirit, you wouldn't have a whole load of born-again Christians going, I wonder if I've received him or not. I wonder if I've encountered the Spirit or not. Because when there's been this instruction that Jesus said, I will come to you, and today's the day of Pentecost, and this was the first time that that promise was fulfilled, when the Spirit on the day of Pentecost was poured out on believers for the first time, do you think they knew that the Spirit had come upon them? I think so. I mean, come on, they were hidden away, they were frightened, they were scared stiff, they weren't going to tell anybody, they were locked away in a room, Spirit of God comes upon them, they're outside, they're, they're speaking in other languages, they're prophesying, they're laying hands on the sick, they're casting out demons, they're preaching the gospel with boldness. I think they just had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. They're born of the Spirit, but now they're encountering the power of the Holy Spirit in his fullness. In John chapter 1, John the Baptist says this, he says, behold, he sees Jesus coming to be baptized, he says in verse 29, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
And then in verse 33 of John 1, same passage, he says this, And he, the Lamb of God who will take the sins of the world away, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. In other words, if you get Jesus, we're singing about it in our meeting, Jesus, the Lamb of God, (coughs) who's taken away your sins, hallelujah, that same Jesus promises to now baptize you, active, real experience, with a baptism of the Holy Spirit and with fire. And it's to every spirit-born-again Christian that it's God's intention to then come to you and to encounter you as a person to give you power and freedom and liberty and to be able to do the things that Jesus did when he was on earth. Sorry this is all a bit theological this morning, but it's pretty good theology. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Wish Deo was saying that because it just sounds amazing. Can't say it like he does, but you know what I mean. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. This is Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost to a whole load of people who says, what must we do to be saved because they've become convicted of their sin? And Peter said to them, repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of the Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Part one, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Got it? So he, he, he's saying, become a Christian. Be born again, get baptized in water. And then goes on to say, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now there are some people that say, well that was true for the day of Pentecost. That's what happened on the day of Pentecost. They were born again, they got baptized in water, 3,000 of them, and they all got baptized in the Holy Spirit, but it was a special day, it was a special encounter. We can't possibly expect that in the 21st century, these things would happen 2,000 years later. It's all a bit weird when people say that, because they haven't finished the sentence. Let's look at what it says in verse 39 of Acts chapter 2. For the promise is for you, And, say and, and your children. And for all who are afar off. Now, I've often thought about it. This was in Jerusalem. I am in a little island in the North Sea. I think I qualify. Because I'm far off from where this was first said. And if you're in Greenland, you're even further. And the Spirit of God can still come upon you there because it was promised on the day of Pentecost. So when people say, well, that was a one-off experience. No, 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 no. This promise is for you and your children and all who are far off. Look at this. Everyone. Say everyone. Everyone. Whom the Lord our God calls to himself. If you're an everyone this morning and you're born of the Spirit, then it is in God's intention for you to receive the power, the fullness, the baptism of the Holy Spirit because it's what Jesus promised and he never ever forgets his promises. I'm going to run out of time, but if I could just take you through the Acts of the Apostles, you'd see... Oh, I'm going to anyway. I've got to just convince you. Acts chapter 8. And 
These are, these are wonderful examples. I'll go through them very quickly. Acts chapter 8. Let's make sure I get it right. Verse 14. Now when the apostles of Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them. I want you to see that phrase. He had not yet fallen. They'd been born again. They were filled with, they were, they, were, they, were, they were born again and they were baptized in water, but he had not yet fallen on any of them. But they'd only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 19. It's a funny story because it's a group of people who no one's really sure whether they're born again or not. Probably they weren't, but Paul leads them through a prayer of repentance, gets them out of their confusion about what they've had and what they haven't had. And then in verse 5 of Acts 19 says, On hearing this, they were baptized in water in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began to speaking in tongues and prophesying about 12 men in all, which means there was a whole bigger crowd than that altogether. Just two illustrations of many illustrations. Every person in the New Testament that was born of the Spirit, as far as we can know, born of the Spirit, had a separate experience of receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit, of the Spirit of God coming upon them. So this was now not passive. This was now very, very active, very much an encounter of an active involvement with the person of the Holy Spirit. So I have a question for you, Spirit-born-again Christian. Have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Have you experienced an active engagement with this person? Born again, wonderful, now with this person who has come to give you power. This experience of the coming upon the Spirit opens the door to a more dynamic and active relationship. It turns passivity about the Holy Spirit into a living, powerful reality. Often, when this happens, it happens without, with signs. People prophesy, people speak in tongues, people find they have faith to heal people and to set people free, etc. This experience of the Spirit always produces more fruit. So sometimes there's outward manifestations. Do you know what the real power is? When there's more love and there's more peace and there's more joy and there's more reality of the person of the Holy Spirit in your life. That's the real proof of the fact that you're having this encounter with this person, the Holy Spirit. For some people, it's very dramatic. For some people, it can be gentle. There's no blueprint Often the baptism of the Spirit happens through people laying hands on you. But also it happens when people are on their own, in their bedroom, <clears throat> on the way to work. This is biblical. And my appeal is this. If you have been born again and you have not encountered the coming upon of the Spirit, then you should be filled with a sense of expectation. 
because it's to do with a promise. It goes like this. Are you born of the Spirit? Wonderful. You're a child of God? Wonderful. Then you are qualified to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. It's not how good you are. It's not, oh, I can see where everyone else is baptized in the Spirit and, and they must be a better person than me because God has blessed us. It's got nothing to do with being good enough. It has to do, and it, it, it takes revelation, it has to do with, do you know what? I'm born of the Spirit. That means I'm qualified. That means I can receive the promise of the Father that Jesus has promised to give of the Holy Spirit because I'm now a child of God. And the Holy Spirit doesn't pressurize you. <clears throat> it doesn't do something that you weren't looking for. And how did I ha- had that happen? I wasn't asking for it. He gives to those who ask. And we don't put you under pressure either. No one's going to kind of lay hands on you and force you to be filled with the Spirit because we can't. It has to do with him and it has to do with your revelation desire. Do you know what? This is me. Also, after the day of Pentecost, no one has to wait. Up until that time, Jesus said, wait. The moment the Spirit has been poured out, we don't have to wait anymore. We're living in an age of the Spirit. We're living in an age where the Spirit can be poured out on any child of God who says, I'm so hungry and thirsty. I don't want to live my life anymore without the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. What if you get prayed for and nothing happens? Here's a, here's a challenge. I've prayed for people <laughs> to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, laid hands on them, and zilch. Nothing's happening. And I kind of go out the door at the end a bit disappointed. It's wrong to go out disappointed. He's not coming to me, you're coming to Jesus. And here's the issue, if you get prayed for and nothing happens, stay hungry, stay thirsty. Don't go passive. There are some people in this room today who have been prayed for and you've never been prayed for again because you were disappointed and so you've, you've gone into passivity. You just go, well, you know, I just want to see one of the unfortunate ones who didn't get this when it was being given out. That's so untrue. It's for everyone, whoever you are. When I got prayed for to be baptized in the Spirit, nothing happened. And then I got prayed for again, and nothing happened, and again, and nothing. It just kept going on and on. I don't know, over a six to eight month period, and I, every time nothing happened, I got down on my knees in my bed and said, Lord, I believe this is true. I believe it. And loads of my friends were being baptized in the Spirit, and I knew some of them, and I knew what they were up to, and they weren't very good. And I thought, Lord, if they can get it, then I can certainly get it. <laughs> so... I had the opposite experience. <clears throat> Rather than making me get passive, I just got more and more active. Come on, come on, come on. I know I'm a child of God. And sometimes people have to, I don't know why it happens, but it just, it just ha- it doesn't, you have to keep waiting and being prayed for. Stay hungry. Stay active. Stay, don't go passive. Because the Holy Spirit is here, and he is here to come and meet with you, and he loves you. You know, New Community Church, it's quite a lively church. It's a modern, lively church. No, it's not. It's a church of people who have been filled with the Spirit, and it's made them come alive. The danger in these days is there's lots of churches like this, and people are looking around for something modern and lively, and you kind of come along and you're snuck in, oh, this has got life in it. But you have to understand the reason it's got life in it is not because we're lively, even though Helen and I have bought new tops for this occasion. <laughs> It's not, we are trendy, we are, I have to admit it, but 
This is not the appeal of this growing church. The appeal of this growing church is there's life here. I believe it with all my heart. But the life doesn't come from us. It comes from Jesus who fills people with his Holy Spirit. A lady said to me a few years ago, I knew she didn't come from a background where where they were teaching the things of the Spirit, but she really loved our church and loved our people. She's now actually in another church somewhere else. <clears throat> I said, uh, how are you getting on? This is about a year in. She said, well, it's okay. I'm, just, I'm, I'm really just about getting used to the charismatic stuff. And I remember thinking, I don't want you to get used to it. I want you to experience what these other people are experiencing. I think God's heart this morning is for many of us, if we're like that, is to don't... See, I don't want you to get shortchanged by coming along every week and being able to jig around and put your hands in the air. I, want, I don't want you to be shortchanged. I want you to experience the Holy Spirit who is the energizing power who causes us to worship in the way that we do. Now, moving on real quickly, I... I'm just going to end with this, a great tragedy. It's a, <laughs> I wish I was French because it would be kind of grange tragique or something. It just, <laughs> just to give it a bit more life. And here is the great tragedy as we're following this, this thing of the Holy Spirit. There are people who have encountered the power of the Spirit. There are people who know that they've been baptized in the Spirit. But today, they're now passive again. And there's something rather tragic about that. There's something rather tragic about somebody who says, do you know what, in, in 1997, I really had this amazing baptism in the Holy Spirit. And then to admit, but right now, things are very, very passive. In other words, it was a one-off experience. The Holy Spirit was never given to be a one-off experience. It's not the end, it's the beginning. So there are some Christians who are so happy because they got born again and now they're speaking tongues and now they're going to heaven. That's it. They're really happy. They shouldn't be. Because the reality is the coming upon the Spirit is not just for heaven. It's for here now. And we use the term baptism in the Holy Spirit and I'm very comfortable with that because it's a biblical phrase. But there's a, there is something that needs to be addressed on that because... Water baptism is a one-off. You don't keep getting baptized in water. It's a one-off experience. So when you use the, 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 the word baptism, people can interpret that as a one-off experience of the Spirit. Oh, I've got it. So now I can just kind of go on my way. What we mean by baptism in the Holy Spirit is a coming upon of the Spirit, a fresh encounter with Him, and then an opening of a door to go on being filled with the Spirit constantly. In fact, living in the person of the Holy Spirit. And if today you've had an experience of the Spirit, but it's now passive and he's now stranger, let me try and motivate you again as to why that shouldn't suffice. And whether you are baptized in the Holy Spirit or not yet baptized in the Holy Spirit, let me motivate you as I close as to why it's not good to remain passive. And the reason it's not good to remain passive is this. The Holy Spirit is not an experience. He is a person. The Bible describes the Trinity as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is a real person. You don't need another experience of the Spirit. You need to walk in the power of the person of the Holy Spirit, who is not past or future, but present. 
Which is why in Galatians chapter 5 and 16 it says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Isn't it an interesting phrase? It doesn't say, you're baptized in the Spirit, and then you'll never gratify the, the flesh anymore. It says, be filled with the Spirit, walk by the Spirit... In other words, if you've encountered the Spirit, keep walking right through your life in the power of the Spirit. That's what's going to change you. Galatians 5.25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. It's obviously not a one-off experience. It's obviously a person who walks with you and is with you in your life. So the Bible talks about walk by the Spirit, live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. Ephesians 5 says, be being filled with the Spirit. And it's important for two reasons. One, the Holy Spirit is with you to have a relationship with you. It takes two people to have a relationship. There's a little phrase in the Bible that talks about fellowship of the Holy Spirit. He, as a person in a relationship with you, wants to have a relationship with you. And because he's a person, he's as real as the person sitting next to you right now. I really want to debunk this idea of the Spirit as an it or a force or a noise. He's a person, which means that he feels, which means that he breathes and speaks and energizes and touches. He even gets grieved. It means that he gives life. And you and I need a relationship with him, not as a one-off experience, but every day of our lives and all day, constantly pursuing him. There was a time in my life when I saw my wife-to-be across a crowded room, and I thought, I like what I see. I wish more blokes would... So I like what I see. I pursued her. Fortunately for me, she was pursuing me in the other way. And then it resulted in us in getting married. And I thought on the day that I got married to Liz, I think this is great. Here's this woman come down the aisle. And it's stupidly in my mind, I'm thinking, she's the right one for me and it's fantastic. And I really know her. What a silly thing. I didn't... I got married. That's what happened. (laughs) My whole next 37 years has been getting to know this woman. I'm still pursuing her today. It's kind of (laughs) like... It wasn't romantic for... Am I allowed to say all this? It wasn't romantic for... I'm still... I mean, we're just still in love. I have four kids. And if I want to stay in relationship with them because they're all married and they've all moved away, then I have to be actively involved in my relationship with them. I'm never going to be anything but their father, but I don't want to be a distant father. I want to be a present father, which means I have to put things in the diary and go and see them. I am just about to have my 12th grandchild. When grandchildren come along, you have a choice. You're, you're, you're their granddad, but does that mean anything? You're just this, you know, especially in these days, patriarchal figure sitting in the corner. Or I have an active relationship with them. It takes two people to have a relationship, and you have to be involved in the activity of doing that. The reason you and I must not be passive about the Holy Spirit, but constantly active. And this is, I think, one of the greatest fears in my life, that some of us in this room are no longer actively involved in the Holy Spirit in the way I would be with my wife or my grandkids. The second and final thing I want to say is this. His role, the Holy Spirit's role, is to be our helper, our paraclete. You've heard me say this many times before. But there's lots of new people here this morning. Uh, Apologize if I repeat some of these things. But the Holy Spirit has come alongside us to help us to carry the Christian life. You cannot live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. You were never meant to, and it doesn't work if you ignore him. 
So to be born of the Spirit is wonderful. Seal and guarantee of everything. To be baptized in the Spirit is essential for your power and this person becoming an active reality. But then even more importantly, to go on being filled with him, to stay in relationship with him, to allow him to do in you what he's come to do, which is to be your helper, is so important. I don't know what it's like sometimes for the Holy Spirit to be standing here, watching me to do in the Christian life, ignoring him, and him standing here saying, for goodness sake, would you let me take over? And every now and again, I get to the point in my Christian life where I go, I can't do this. Maybe, Holy Spirit, you could help me. And the Holy Spirit's going, oh, thank goodness, at last. This has been so boring for the last 20 years. <laughs> Watching you try to do it on your own. Listen, you cannot worship without the Spirit. Jesus said you will worship in spirit and in truth. You can come here this morning and sing songs. That doesn't mean you've worshipped. You can only worship with the Holy Spirit. You cannot pray without the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul says we don't know how to pray. But the Holy Spirit, Romans 8.26, helps us in our weakness. You cannot witness without the Holy Spirit. My Spirit will come upon you and cause you to be witnesses. You cannot understand the Bible without the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> He's your helper. He's saying, let me help you. Give you revelation of what this says. Let me help you in worship. Let me help you in your prayer life. When it comes to relating to Christians, if you've ever tried to do that without the Holy Spirit, forget it. It doesn't work. He comes and helps you love people in a way that you thought would be impossible. While you're all being holy about this, what about marriage? Those of you that are married, don't, don't continue your marriage without the Holy Spirit. He's come to help you. When kids come along, he's to help you. When you go to work, so David, come on, this is getting too far. The Holy Spirit will help me in my workplace. Well, it's your choice. He either goes with you or he stays at home waiting for you to come back from work. And there's no spiritual secular divide in the kingdom of God. So that means the Holy Spirit is with you wherever you go. He's even with you on the football pitch, which is very, very disturbing when you see what goes on in some Christian football matches. But anyway, the Spirit of God has come to invade every part of our lives. I want you to be addicted to the Holy Spirit and that every opportunity there comes to have more of the Spirit don't be passive, be active. If you come forward to say, I need more of the Spirit to move in signs and wonders, you might find me standing next to you because I've come forward to be a better father and a better husband. We need to be filled with the Spirit. Let's. Thanks for listening to this talk from New Community. For more information about New Community, check out newcommunitychurch.org.uk.